All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars. With us today, we have Joshua Hendricks. Hello there. Austin Ivey. Hey, everybody. And the man who is only here to dunk on Austin and I, his words, not mine, uh, the man you never see coming to our listeners, it's probably because it's a podcast, but there is another reason for that, and that is... Marcelo Gonzalez, <laughs> freshly graduated with his new uh, master's degree. <laughs> that would be Marcelo Gonzalez, comma, MA to you. But thank you, thank you. <laughs> so so happy to be done. <laughs> I thank figured, you for the intro. <laughs> yeah, I figured graduation warranted Marcelo getting some kind of an intro. Uh, and I'm Ryan Goke. And today we will be discussing free college tuition, but we're going to tailor this specifically towards the new proposal by President Biden and his administration to make the two-year community college education free nationwide, part of his $10 trillion budget expansion plan. So why don't we go ahead and get started with that? Why don't we go ahead and start with like what we think the problem is and what they're trying to address, and then we can talk about whether or not we think that it will. So from my perspective, one of the things that I think is a major shortcoming in education is obviously going to be the cost, which is why they're trying to do this. I think another issue that we have is going to be the fact that it's, well, basically education cost of attendance has gone up, and that hasn't been correlated with inflation or with the fact that we're losing value on our dollar. It's just been completely and artificially inflated to a ridiculous amount. And I think a lot of the complaints that they've been citing as they've been trying to alleviate this cost is that there was a time in our grandparents or great-grandparents' age where you could work a minimum wage job, you could live, and you could go to college, and it would cover both of those, and you wouldn't have to go into crippling debt. And we've been walking away from that. So I'll leave it there, and I'll kick it over to anybody else who wants to kind of chip in on other issues that might be at play. Um, I think the... the um, the primary cause of the problem is state and local governments have reduced the funding and are not kept up um, with, with inflationary costs and other um, expenses at universities. And so a lot of a large part of it is the university has a decision, you know, especially the public universities. And I can't speak much about, you know, what goes on and why they charge what they do at private universities. That's their own, you know prerogative they can do whatever they want but at public universities you get money from three primary sources you get it from whatever your state government gives you um, in terms of your budget you get your tuition which usually has a lot of rules about how you can spend that money and then you have whatever grants and financial donations um, that get made to your um, university if the state government cuts your budget you have two options. You can cut programs, cut professors, um, but sometimes that won't even work because at a lot of schools, tuition money, um, one of the things that can be used for is paying professors. And so even if the state cuts the budget, they can't cut professors to then uphold other parts of the university that just got undercut because they can't shift around those tuition dollars. And at universities, they can. The response is, well, raise tuition or change the rules around tuition money and let it be used differently um, or increase somewhere tuition money. There's a lot of weird university finances that happens. Um, but I would say the chief and sole blame of this current problem is our state and local governments not keeping up with providing funding for local universities. And that, you know, forces them to pass the financial burden then off to students. I mean, these are government institutions. Government cuts the funding, either the institution gets smaller or the, students gets, the student body gets smaller. There's only two outcomes or tuition goes up. 
I think speaking from a someone who went to a public university in undergrad, Tennessee Tech, but then has been to a, a wings up hashtag wings up has been going to a private university and masters. It's really telling how much the different it makes like when your money comes from the government versus when your money comes from the students. I recently learned that 40% of the kids in my school pay full tuition and at GW that is $80,000 a year without counting for, you know, all of the other expenses. And so it, to me, it's just insane the amount of, I guess, disparity that, that, that comes with like people being able to afford or not to afford um, this type of education. I'm one of the 60% that doesn't pay full tuition, just for the for the record. But um, yeah, I think I think cost is a big problem and it's a big issue. And I would, I guess I would, I would like to know if anybody has any thoughts to offer because I really have no idea why costs are so high, like in, public, in private universities, that is. Because I know that GW is a huge school. It's the second biggest uh, owner of land in DC after the federal government, uh, which to me just sounds insane. Um, and so they, they, they are pretty much a real estate company that also happens to teach kids how to, you know, I, I don't know, get internships at the Hill. I'll say that I think it's going to be a, a big problem in the order to like, how do we pay for this? Um, when looking at public universities, I don't know if there's anything that can be done about the private costs. Cause I, I don't, I don't see private universities reducing their costs, uh, just out of the good of their hearts. And it's not like they can either because professors have paid a lot of money, salary costs are a big part of why this happens. I think one of the major contributing factors is going to be the cost, the supply and demand. When you have more supply, more students coming in, you need more faculty. When you need more faculty, you have to pay more salaries. And the other option that you can do with that is you can overwork your faculty. They can work uh, an overload. They can take a course overload, but there are restrictions on how much you can do. So there does come a certain point when we have a certain amount of students where universities either have to take a hit on their quality of education, right? So when I went to Murray State University, they prided themselves on the fact that they had high-quality teacher-student relationships. It was something like 1 to 11. So it was like one teacher for every 11 students. It was a smaller school. When you increase the accessibility in this way, you do have to either increase the amount of teachers or you have to take a hit. So I think that one of the reasons that we're seeing an increase in tuition outside the artificial inflation, outside of what Josh mentioned, is that you do have a, a realistic thing you can track. Obviously, we've seen more students come in We've seen those tuition rates rise, and I think that it's kind of a pretty significant factor. Not the only one, but I think that that is a contributing factor. And since that's a factor, you make it more accessible, like the Biden administration is wanting to, that's going to go up. And if you waive it, sure, like the students aren't going to be paying as much if it's free, obviously. But at the same time, universities then have to find a way to compensate for that because they've now lost a, a, a portion of their revenue. Oh, yeah. The path to free um, university is that the federal government just needs to, you know, foot the bill for all of them um, or have some grant um, fund they create and the state governments foot the bill and then send that bill to the federal government. And the federal government just does a one for one reimbursement, however they want to do that program. Private universities are, are, are indeed I'm going to agree with Mar Marcel, their own deal. I think a part of the lar large part of what I do is um, 
they do it for the prestige as well. There's some elite feeling of having an eighty or thousand dollar, hundred thousand dollar tuition to where either you're in on the good graces of the university, to where you're in this weakened power position to the university because the only way you're there is because of their, you know, offering to you, or you come in flexing your money, you don't care about what's going on there because you're giving them so much money, the university will not touch you as a financial asset of 80,000 or realistically 160,000 plus dollars a year. I think there's a there's a real weird twist of pride in paying so much money for for education. I have friends, and even if you don't have that money, right? I have friends who are like, how much do you have in debt? Like, no, I don't like, like 40,000 in debt. Oh, well I am 60,000 in debt. So like, <laughs> like, for, I mean, everyone hates it. No one it. wins that yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, as the one who like went a, to community college before going to university did win that game. <laughs> I think that prestigious feeling is called six figures in debt and five figures in salary. <laughs> Well, that raises an important question, though, because depending on your degree, are you going to be making that, you know, five, six figures in salary? Uh, and, and well, graduating from community college, no, you will not, because the workforce, frankly, doesn't doesn't think as highly of a, yeah. a an associate's degree as they do as a bachelor's. And quite frankly, uh, an associate's degree is given little more consideration than a, a high school degree at that point. But to be fair, you're not taking out any amount of, if, if, if you manage to go into debt while going to community college, I mean, <laughs> congratulations. I'm impressed. I'm amazed. You know, Tennessee, where you know where we're all from, has free community college. I went um, before that was, it was $2,200 a semester. Yep. There was, you know, with the, ten, you know, before the Tennessee, there was still the Tennessee, uh, what we call it, the Hope Scholarship, yep, yep. what it was before, which was $1,000, which is what, you know, so even then, so you just blanketly got $1,000, uh, you know, off. And then, you know, at the community college is always like, you know, here's that $250 scholarship for pretty much, you know, anyone who they could get their paws on, because that's a still a significant amount of, you know, tuition. So... There's definitely that aspect of it. And I, yeah, and I definitely think like the whole debt situation, I think probably reflects on a lot more of attendance to private institutions. Cause I still would even imagine to struggle how someone would go into six figures of debt at, I mean, I guess if they went to like university of Tennessee, Knoxville, and they just like went full bar, no scholarship. Well, no, think about it. They're going to a public school though, like in Tennessee, where would you go six figures in debt at a public institution in Tennessee? I, like, that's, that's very regional. You're exactly right. And I, I, to me, that's one of the reasons that I'm not a huge fan of a federal subsidized uh, program because we federally pay taxes to which I might not be getting as much return in my state. And I, I think that you mentioned another important factor when you were talking about public versus private, and that is that we're going to see more quote unquote access to education, but it won't be the same access to equal education because people will still be able to go into debt at the private universities because the government cannot force them to make that free. Therefore, what I think you're going to see is you're going to see an overload in the public sector to where that quality of education goes down and we'll see more people graduating with degrees, maybe, assuming they can make it through. But those who do will not be on par with those who graduate from private. So I think we're just really just shuffling the cards. We're not actually fixing the deck. I think the if they can make it through is another important point as well. 
because one of the ways that you could go six figures in debt in Tennessee at a public university, like Josh was saying, UT Knox, spend six years on your bachelor's degree partying the whole way through. <laughs> That's a great way to catch six figures of debt real quick. Maybe <laughs> are you in not school in at education. That point? <laughs> I was about to say, but are you in school at that point? Or, no, you're paying to party. You, yeah, like, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and Ryan, to counter that, um, um, how's the job market looking um, for academics right now? Are, are there enough postings? Is it, you know, is it is it a good time to be in, in the job field or it's, are jobs It's on the rebound, scarce? actually. Uh, within the last three months, it's actually gone up. And again, this will go to my point that it really depends on what you're majoring in. If you're an, inst- I'll just stick within comm for a second. If you're an instructional comm, nobody has a space for you at this point because they're flooded. And if you're an organizational communication, if you can do business communication, if you are a forensics coach, the market is actually hopping. Now, forensics coaches, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Josh, your overseer, your director of forensics has a PhD and is tenured. If that's, yes, that's the anomaly. Typically there's a high turnover rate for those because they're not tenured. Um, And so most of those, I will be fair and say that most of the forensics jobs are not a tenure track, but if your organizational communication right now, that's the portion of the market that's up. And I think that I'll just kind of apply that to the rest and say that it will depend on what you're majoring with. I actually came prepared with some statistics. So according (laughs) to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, here are the top 10 earning majors. You have uh, petroleum engineering, pharmaceutical science and administration, metallurgical engineering. I I don't think I pronounced that correctly. uh, And I struggled there for a second. Okay. Uh, Metallurgical engineering. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chemical Engineering. (laughs) Uh, Mining and mineral engineering, chemical engineering, electrical engineering, (laughs) aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering, computer engineering, geological and geophysical engineering. Those are the top 10. Notice what they have in common. They're all engineering, which means they're hard sciences, which also means that they have a hard practical application. Now, here's the worst one. And Josh Marcello and Ryan, (laughs) the three of us, so sorry, but uh, this is going to hurt. Here it comes. Uh, Family and consumer science, drama and theater arts, elementary education, theology, visual performing arts, teacher education, social work, studio arts, human services and community organization, early childhood education. Those are all the arts and all of those are not going to pay as highly. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Austin's point about whether what you're going to make coming out and this determines whether or not you get out of debt and whether or not you're marketable. Hard sciences are hopping right now. They are the place to be. And the problem is that a lot of people, particularly when you go to community college, tend to major in the arts. Now, they might switch when they go to a four-year, but a lot of them major in the arts, which means that one of the problems and one of the things I think college creates a solution for is theoretically giving people inability to market themselves. If you do the arts, though, that's not going to be as likely. And I think that that's a problem that I'm going to have with this program is that we'll be paying for people to go to college and we might just be delaying how long it takes for them to get in the unemployment line might not actually improve uh, their standard of living, which is what I think we want them to be able to do when they get out. But there's some value in an inherently more educated society. Like if, cause you know, if we think about like what type of jobs we want Americans to have, I'd rather have a bunch of lower paid social workers than factory workers, because in terms of what that provides to our society, in terms of what that provides as our economy and our international competitiveness, those are more important than having run of the mill, you know, average workers having, a bunch of, you know, better than even, um, you know, high school educated students makes us more internationally competitive for business. We have better educated students. We have better businesses, more support services, even if they aren't earning as much like, 
a more complicated and advanced and educated society is still a more preferred society, right? To an extent, um, I would agree. But I, I also think that college is more about getting the certification that you can do something than it is about getting tangible skills that you can actually use. So I would dispute and say that college doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do better. There are people who walk out and they will, right? Like I, I'm going 10 years strong when I finished my PhD, and I, I've progressed as an individual, absolutely. But also, there are people who go through college and they don't learn anything. Like they just they they don't walk out because they could skate by, and like that's the reality. And that'll be even more so the case if we lose our quality in the process. Isn't it our job just to fail those people out though? Like allowing more people to come, like if there's bad students, then the onus is on the educators to uphold the standard and ensure you can get in. That doesn't mean I have to grade you easier. Correct. And I think that that will depend on kind of what their standards are for letting people in, because with the push to get more people educated, I think that the bigger issue is the selectiveness right now. I don't think the major contributor is the fact people can't afford it because you've got things like scholarships. Pell Grants, that if you can demonstrate that you're truly in financial need, you can get money that doesn't have to be paid back. And I do support those programs. But the direction that the Biden administration is proposing in this specific instance, I think is drifting away from that. Away from what? Away from the more selective aspect. I think that their push is to just get people educated because of the benefit that education provides to society. And, and in that process, the way that they talk and some of the things that have been proposed I think that we're going to be lowering standards as well in like the admission process. I mean, the admission process to community, to community college in the first place. Right. So if the community college process of application is already pretty flimsy on who they screen out, then they, it they, becomes they don't, they don't screen in Tennessee. I don't, I don't know a single community college in Tennessee that has like a 98 or more acceptance rate. Like, there has to be some weird concern about you. I mean, so you're you're saying that they 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 don't really pick and choose. They kind of just let people come. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if 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 you can't do a college level math, they have high school remedial math classes and English classes and writing classes because they just want educated people. And that's what we're funding. That that's my point though. Is that if there's no screening process, we're putting money into something that's not necessarily bettering people with their tangible skills to go into society. We're giving them a certification that says they can do something. And at this point today, they might not be able to. And I think that if we lower those standards and we make it even more accessible, there will be even more people going through who aren't actually producing tangible skills and therefore will not be able to contribute to society better than they would have been able to. On the topic of having remedial courses available at you know the college level, I know some people, if they do have a career path in mind, that is the best step from you know point A to point B if they had a bad run of it in high school. Totally understandable what happens to some people. But as far as making community college the new baseline and making that free for everyone would, I guess what I'm trying to say in 2021, with as much information as is available to people through the internet, et cetera, if you want to relearn some of those topics or if you want to learn them for the first time because you didn't put enough effort in through high school or you didn't have the greatest high school experience, you can learn that on your own time. What would the benefit of sending people to a community college for the sake of picking some of those remedial classes up, which is basically high school 2.0 at that point, uh, where does the benefit lie with that? Any thoughts on that? But nobody's sending you anywhere. Like it's just free. Like it's not, um, nobody's making you go. That's, that's what I would say. They're just opening up the door for more people to come in. Is they're not 
it's not mandatory military service. You can opt out of it. <laughs> so let, and, let, and let me. Marcel's got a point though. When Tennessee made community college free, um, we did not see some massive surge of enrollment. In fact, this the, the year uh, after the first year, um, Walter State's enrollment was actually down. Um, and it seemed to have real, no tangible impact of how many of our high school um, graduates were still opting to going. The tangible impact it did then have was those that opted to go to further their education at a free cost at that point, and most of those students who then go on to finish their you know bachelor's degree did so at no financial burden to start the first two years of their school. So meaning when they did have to come pay the expensive university prices, they only had to do it for two years. So there's still a lot of benefits to that because even if, you know, having a 60% transfer rate out to university from the community college is still a really impactful thing. Cause even if the associate's degree isn't, isn't going to do a lot, having that many more people go on to get bachelor's degree is still going to be important, important. Cause even if, you know, they start out doing something off topic or not sure what they're doing, do like a general studies at the community college, if they go on to be an engineer, that's a net positive. But so removing barriers to that then, even as low as the financial barriers can be, you know, why have them at all when we have test pilot programs, our own state, where it didn't ruin the community college, like, at all, like, then, you know, they're back to doing just fine. And it overall just means students now just don't have to worry about the cost. So one of the things that did happen as a backlash when Tennessee got that drive to 55 going, their goal there was to get 55% of the population or more to have a two-year degree or better by, I think it was 2025. And what we saw then was that four-year universities lashed out because there was a surge the first year in enrollment. And I don't know how it was actually carried out, but there was an overflow, uh, maybe not to Walter State, but across the rest of the state to the other ones. There was an increase and it stopped people from being... Want, from it stopped people from wanting to go to a four-year university. And the four-year universities around uh, late winter, early spring realized, oh no, our enrollment's going to be down. And so they kind of kicked back at this in two ways. The first was they waived all of their college application fees, which first of all, I supported because I don't think you should have to apply to be rejected from a place. But the other thing that they started doing was they started reducing the number of credits they allowed to transfer because they need people to take their gen ed classes. And it was not passed off as retaliatory because then they'd be in trouble. Instead, they said, and in some cases, rightfully so, they said, you are not up to par based off of this class because community colleges do not perform to the same levels of four year. Therefore, you must take this specific or these handful of classes here. So Right. But we can also objectively look at those universities and say that was a horrendous administration it decision was. because they're getting whipped now by Middle Tennessee State University who went around to every community college possible and said, we will honor everything you do and give you a $1,500 semester uh, per semester scholarship for your entire stay here. If you transfer here, please come transfer here. Please come to MTSU. Sent recruiters to all of the campuses and signed those uh, transfer agreements. So 100% of your transfers. And it's now the largest growing university with the most profitable university in Tennessee and soon to be the largest and outclass UTK and be the most premier public university while being cheaper than UTK. And UTK is the school that did those, oh, you're not up to our par type of program. So like for the universities that responded smartly, they've experienced tremendous benefits like mtsu gets thousands of transfers now every semester um and so it's really boosted their enrollment in the long term 
So that their retaliatory nonsense was just biting the hand that fed them, literally. We, Because community colleges recruit students who otherwise wouldn't go to college, transfer a high percent of them to universities that would never have been there in the first place. And if you spite them, yeah, I know several professors at Walter State who said they were actively campaign against students trying to transfer to UTK because they knew UTK was going to try to harm them as a student, because they knew they were going to intentionally deny them credits to force them to spend more money at UTK. Like, yeah, but that's the fault of bad administrators, not, you know, a a good policy that helped, you know, students go to college. No, I, I agree. The terrible policy. But the reality is that it's still there, though. And and we will see that. And we're still going to see more students going to community college, which on its face may or may not be good, may or may not be bad. I'm proposing that I don't think that there's going to be a net good to the point that we should be subsidizing these for a couple of reasons. The first, as you mentioned, Josh and Marcella, was that there's not a lot of costs there to begin with. The second would be the fact that there are Pell Grants and other things to help students get through that. Therefore, I feel like it's kind of like a hat on a hat. Like you don't really need to subsidize something through taxes when it's already being covered. And for those students who don't go beyond a community college, I don't think that the community colleges equip them with tangible skills in most instances. There are some technical degrees, like x-ray tech, you can go two years, done, boom, you make good money when you get out. I think it's like 50, 60, 70,000 a year. That's actually a good choice. But then we have the free will, and people don't always make the right choice. So I think that as we look at where this will go in the future, I don't think there will be a lot of net good to society for the cost that it incurs. Well, I would still say the the certificate matters. A lot of industries um, around the world, a lot of companies, they like the certificate. You see it on your applications. They like the certificate. That's a business culture thing. And that's an international culture thing. And let's, you know, think about it from a big multinational corporation. You're thinking, okay, where do I want to put my new um, office complex that I'm going to employ a thousand people at? Okay. Here's this town, it has 100,000 people and 90,000 of them only have high school degrees and there's only 10,000 college graduates and all of those college graduates are already employed. Do I open my 1,000 person office complex there? No. Okay, but then if I go to a town and there's 100,000 people, 10,000 of them have bachelor's degree, you know, 50,000 of them have high school's degree and 40,000 of them have associate's degrees, okay. Maybe I can work with that. Those are numbers businesses look at. How are the school systems in in the city I'm going to build up? Are my workers going to be happy here? Like when companies do, like when Amazon and all those big companies do those searches for these next locations of where they're going to like locate them, they're considering these things and the employees we have to offer them are something to consider. So if a high school you know, degree is good for a 725, you know, minimum wage flipping burger, then let's try to inspire more corporation, you know, investment by having more to like push them there. If our education standards aren't producing, you know, students from them and quality students, that's a conversation the education system needs to have with itself and not with turning students away because we can't properly grade them. Like if we're not educating students, then we're teaching wrong, then we're grading wrong, then we're failing and flunking wrong. Um, And if you think about a lot of our funding 
uh, currently in universities is depend on our success rate, on how many students do we get out the door, do finish, do completion, what is our retention rate? Those are tied to university finances and performances and how the state governments evaluate us. If university was just paid for and the professors were told, it doesn't matter how many people graduate, what matters is how smart people are when they leave, you don't have to worry about your fail rates, how liberating would that be in terms of what we were trying to do with our courses versus worrying about having a 75 or you know a 25% fail rate in a class or having a high you know fail rate or flunk out rate versus you know a completion rate under university statistics the compulsion to graduate is tied to our financial system so if we can liberate our financial system we won't have the compulsion to graduate students who we shouldn't be graduating. I, I agree. I think the education system um, is definitely at fault with a lot of these issues. I also think that what we're trying to do to get them to improve isn't helping. Like, Josh, I think that you are correct uh, to an extent with the education talking to themselves would probably be where that should and can, can and should be handled. Austin, Marcelo, what do you guys think on this? The problem... I feel like problems compound over problems. Yep. Um, a, a big situation that we talked at the beginning that I think was not touched enough, uh, not, not, not only here, but I guess in the general conversation, is the impact that the high cost of education has on the debt. Every, so many people in, in this country are in debt. And that compounds sort of like, um, on poverty and like the inability for like poor mobility. So again, if you technically found a way to fix the high cost of education, the that problem would eventually, quote unquote, eventually solve itself. And in so we, we need to consider possible alternatives. I am in favor of the free college option because I do think that it opens more opportunities for people. But I also understand, and now that I hear Ryan and, and, and Austin talk about this, I do think about a, a really funny tweet that I, that, I, that I saw a couple of weeks ago that was like talking about specific majors being pyramid schemes. Mm -hmm. That it's like you only become a professor of a specific subject to teach that specific subject <laughs> later at some other university. And like that's, I mean, I'm not saying that I've seen that happen, but I have a lot of friends who are studying social sciences to become professors studying or researching social sciences later. Um, and I don't know how sustainable that is. That's the academy though, isn't it, Marcel? Like that's like the production of knowledge is valuable. Like production of knowledge is valuable because, and, and I'm also, don't worry, I'm hating myself for saying this as well, because I, I don't <laughs> like to think of college and higher education as a pipeline to make you a more efficient, valuable worker. Like um, you shouldn't think of university as like, uh, and people think about this a lot, and I and I did it too when I started college as a computer science major. Is like, how much am I gonna earn with this? You know, like I need to, like, go through these years, whatever it takes, and then I'll have a great job and a house and a white picket fence. Um, when in reality, you know, that's not that that's not everyone's goal. And I I don't I don't think we should always look at college with the purpose of like these are the top ten what Watch Mojo presents top ten best majors to to like get good money at um, especially and why well, i didn't say this especially when like half of your list was like fossil fuel petroleum um industry which is like you know another conversation but again if you're looking at from a from a perspective of like what's going to generate the uh, your most efficient most viable worker then yeah sure m maybe you should make free college only for engineering students right um but if you're looking at college as like you know the purpose 
of this is to generate better citizen, like citizenry building, and also to generate people that are just more intelligent in, in some other way. I think you need to consider the possibility of opening it up to everyone. Whatever you want to study, you should be able to study. You know, if everyone wants to be um, a communications major. <laughs> Personally attacked, Marcelo. <laughs> I think what's also too important is, and this is going to sound weird, that education is critical to national defense. And this isn't something I, I even care about uh, personally, but at least no, I think this will bait you some of my, the more centrist and conservative things, uh, leaning folks. Research and advancements in computer science is the single most important thing for the future in terms of military, um, energy inter- inter- infrastructure, and um, overall position and global hegemony. I'm gonna pause here. Anyone disagree with that statement? No, the engineer doesn't <laughs> Austin, yeah. take that as win. Um, I started out as a computer science major. Uh, my, when I have done a career in professional work, it's actually been in computer science and IT. So I'm, I'm going to put my seven uh, years of part-time experience down on that one as well for that statement and say that if other countries get a research and development advantage on us, that especially in like in fields of computer science and algorithmic progression and artificial intelligence that's going to be a compounding interest of failure because once their research is faster than us and they can research faster than us, that means it doesn't matter how much we increase our research because they're increasing their research at a faster rate. We'll, we'll never catch um, up. So like investment in our own, making sure we have hyper-educated and still the global re- leader in the re- research is an economic and military like criticality in terms of like global positioning you know we can get outclassed as a superpower if everyone else you know it continues to advance their education system and america says well high school's good enough i think that if you're a computer science major you're going to graduate and you don't have to worry about your loans because you're going to be making 50 to one hundred fifty thousand dollars depending on what you choose to do once you get out like if you have kind a- of Sure. But like the bottom line is the degrees that don't make anything when they get out and the reason they're the lowest revenue generating once they get out is because there's not as much of a demand for them. If you get out and your degree is too niche to where no one can hire you or it has no practical skills that it generates, then those are the individuals who are going to have the crippling debt when they get out where they can't pay it off. You graduate law school, depending on where you go, you get dollars $200,000. That's crippling debt, but you'll be making enough you can pay it off. I think that the the, the key vector here is looking at what are the degrees that are not desirable enough in society because of what they contribute to where they're not able to pay off that debt. That doesn't mean that they don't have value. It doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means that when the market assigns a value to them, they're not as much. And when we subsidize degrees, those are the ones that we wind up subsidizing. So, and, and I think I'll, I'll swing this back to Marcelo or to Austin's comment at the beginning, if I want to learn something in the the golden age of the internet, the World Wide Web, I can learn those things on my own time. I don't think that we need to subsidize a certification for people who may or may not go to class. Like, I, I just, I don't think that... But as a philosophy, do we really want to let the economy determine what we assign as philosophically important and worth having professional scholars and studies for. Because if we say, okay, this isn't earning enough money, so it's going to get kicked out of the university system and people can just go learn it online, we are letting literal capitalism determine what philosophy is worth having, you know, 
professionally done and what philosophy is worth just castigating to the side and being left to internet researchers. I feel like that's a really close to just a sickening abandonment of academic integrity of saying it's capitalism and the market will determine what's worth studying, I, not scholarship. I, like seriously, Ryan, come on, man. Really, like, I, I think I'll pick it back on that for, for a bit because I, I was thinking the same thing. It is a little, it's like I could already imagine the policy being put into place. It's like, we'll grab the top 25 majors and we'll make those free and everything else still costs money see where people are going to drift to. And like that would leave entire departments just like very, very isolated. It's like, I feel like that would even be worse. I would actually be against free college. It was only for like high, <laughs> well, high paging, high paying tuition. Cause like, I'm, that, I'm that not just, proposing that, just that sounds... at all. Like I'm not saying that. No, I, only... I know. I'm I, just making I, a straw man out of you. I, I know. Uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Josh did too. It's all right. Why not? <laughs> so let me, um, let me respond to Josh. Um, go, or actually go ahead, Marcel. <laughs> no, go wild. Okay. It's, it's, so, I said what I had to say. When you said that education is imperative to global security, notice that you didn't say we need more critical theorists. You say we need computer science, and computer science is already market rich because there is an actual tangible skill that becomes valuable. If you can code, you can do something for national security. It's not to say that arts and literature are not important. They are. We saw that even more so in the pandemic when people were in isolation. There is a value to that, absolutely. I'm not saying that there's not. What I'm saying is that if I want to read Moby Dick or Shakespeare, I don't need a degree that says that I did that when, in fact, most of us didn't do that in English class. Like, I'll give $1,000 to anybody in this room who can tell me there was not a class, particularly a gen ed that you found uninteresting to your major, where you, you got through with the grade where you passed and you probably didn't have to do a whole lot and you didn't do anything. You you walked out of there with no increase in knowledge. You walked out of there without hey having to do anything. Hey, like, it happens. Hey That's college. It was my first, my first English <laughs> class, proper English class in my life. And I learned a lot in that final project of Slam Poetry. <laughs> but my point is, I don't think that we need to subsidize degrees in college where that becomes reality. Like, I, I think that when we see the problem that people should go to college to better their financial situation, I think that's a main argument. The plan proposed by the Biden administration doesn't satisfy that because you'll get a lot of people walking out. And we'll continue the statistics where 40 percent, 40 percent of college graduates are working a job right now that doesn't even require a degree. It's not that they're not working in their field. It's that it didn't require a degree, which means people are choosing majors that are either too niche or they don't have practical skills. And I think that that shouldn't be subsidized. That's what I was getting at, Josh. Not that this idea that we don't need education, or that we should have this tiered system, but rather we don't need to create tax increases to increase our spending so that someone can get a certification that they read literature. Literature is good. Okay. I can but do it on that my argument, own <laughs> That argument fully, fully extends. You can, you can control C, control V that argument into um, um, abolishing the English department. It does not produce enough money. We should not be, we should not be subsidizing this education through the existence of English departments at public universities. We are then indeed subsidizing English education. We should not be subsidizing English education. Therefore, the conclusion of your argument, abolish the English department, Ryan. You can do that with picking up a lot of snow and a snowball fallacy. Sure. You can't roll my argument down the hill. But, I'm saying so we shouldn't, if we shouldn't be subsidizing <laughs> some programs, then where does where's that where is that bright line then? The bright line is status quo right now. I think there's things that can be changed, but subsidizing it through federal funding isn't going to work, particularly because here's what Biden said on this. He said that this plan will not cost the taxpayers one dollar. So he's either ignorant. You'd be a very good Buddhist. Change is very scary. <laughs> 
Uh, he's either, when he says that it's not going to cost us anything, he's either lying, ignorant to the situation, or he's not going to allocate funding towards education. One of those three. The last one is, quite frankly, one of the more scary because it means he's going to let these institutions go on without the funding that they need. The, the community colleges are already underfunded, which means they're also understaffed, which means that they get the bottom of the barrel as it is. And removing their ability to have tuition, I don't think offsets the costs that we'll incur to society. That, that's the point there. Not that we shouldn't subsidize these, but rather the way that it's being set up is not a good idea. I don't think they wouldn't have tuition. They would just, the federal government would pay their tuition. But if he said it's not going to cost us anything, he's either not going to bring in taxes or he's not going to allocate it, which means they won't have it. That, that's what I'm going Over with. Of the fancy shifting of money like we did in Tennessee from the Hope Scholarship over to Tennessee Promise using the exact same lottery money, not increasing any taxes and just whoop, the money was already there. I mean, if they lay out a plan like that, I'd be willing to consider it. But I, I still don't think that we're going to see the net gain to society. Like what, what we what we want and what is an, an argument for this is we improve people's standard of living. We improve that. And it, it's not necessarily going to come from that. Not from community college. I mean, it did mine. I'm here to get my master's degree, start out in community college, beat you in debate while at community college. I think <laughs> you're just a little salty. Well, as a chemical engineer uh, major, I was, you know, it sounded pretty good to me earlier. It's like, let's make the engineering, uh, the engineering department free for me, uh, just completely selfish. Education can be an end into itself. This is definitely an interesting discussion. Um, I'd have to think some more on some of these issues though, but yeah, engineering free. That sounds great to me. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> I think another point, if we want to talk about, oh, go on, Marcelo. Education should be an end unto itself to an extent. Like, I, I do believe that people should have the ability, again, not realistic, but people should have the ability to just learn the, their entire lives um, and not do anything else. So evolution is a weird game of numbers and time. If a gene is slightly more preferable over a course of, uh, you know, several millennia, it will slowly, slowly get selected for. And I think education in the economy is kind of like that. We open up education and get more people involved in it. And that means their children are more likely to be involved with it. And their children are going to be more likely involved with it. And we see that in first and second generation college students and why we put so much emphasis on helping and providing services for first generation college students, because we know that's such a difficult thing um, to, you know, to do without that advice, you know, and parents having that, you know, experience. So we kind of get that from our economy and the education system. We provide more workers and a more education-minded system. And I think when we think of education of as, yeah, this is the stamp I need to get more money, that's why people don't pay attention in class because they don't view education as an end unto itself. And when we subsidize education and we take the point that there's a great benefit to the economy, you know, provided to the economy by education, but education is an end unto itself. It just has this awesome bonus of making our economy better. I think we would actually get better students and teachers and professors because that makes the what we're doing in school more serious than, um, oh, this is what I need to do to make sure I can pay my bills. I'll say that hot take. Yes, uh, university should be free for everyone. I know I just said that maybe it shouldn't because people study majors that look like pyramid schemes, but I think those should be free as well. I feel like either all of, all of it is free or all of it isn't, as we have seen through the examples. And I don't think that this, the, the way the system is supported by the status quo right now um, is going to change unless there's some pressure from the government. I, I don't think universities will do anything. I don't think they have any reason to. So I'm, I'm really hoping for some change here. Um, I want 
be benefiting from it. My children might, but it like still, I wouldn't be opposed to having a more educated society, even though some people might say that we're at an indoctrination center. And, you know, if the government starts paying for all of it, then that's just going to get worse. But no, yeah, yes, for free college, always, all the time. Uh, to start off, to kind of piggyback off what Marcelo said earlier, um, I think one of the best examples I've seen of the pyramid scheme, scheme thing was a degree in Egyptology, literal pyramid schemes. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I think as far as the free college thing goes, obviously with all of us being in Tennessee, you know, we have a little bit of a sample size. I think before it comes down from a federal level, though, I'd like to see more states try their hands to see how it works out. Different places, um, given how busy things have been for all of us with finals, I haven't had a whole lot of time to look into things, but I'd love to look and see other states that have done this, if they've tried it, see how it's worked out, see what their ideas to fund it, et cetera. Um, I think that'd be most important before the federal government just goes ahead and jumps right in the deep end and decides to subsidize community college for everyone all the way across the nation. Probably for some states that that may not be something that they're necessarily needing for their economies. And then again, I guess to kind of close out, for the point that education is an end unto itself, it absolutely is. I just don't think that necessarily has to come from college. I think as far as what the basis, you know, we used to have a distinction between liberal arts education and, you know, trade education, et cetera. Some of that's been kind of melded in college because you can get both the same place. And we have somewhat uh, with our prereqs, you have a little bit of groundwork with a liberal arts education. I use that extremely loosely because a lot of colleges do not produce equipped citizenry. They do not produce people who are competent and understand a lot of the deeper concepts because they didn't have the passion for it to begin with. Um, I still stand by a lot of those things. Obviously, I'm not saying that you should pull them out of the colleges or anything. There are people that need to study those things. But I do think that a more fulfilling education um, when it comes to some of those deeper concepts doesn't come from very large classrooms. I think it would have to come from more of a smaller setting. And that's just a problem, again, like we said earlier, that's between education and education to talk about. But on the concept of free college, I would love to see more states try their hand at it. And that's the beautiful thing about America. We have a sample size of 50 to give it, you know, see what they can do before we make everybody do it. Yeah, I'm going to say a more educated society is always going to be preferable. Um, I think it's something we want to put a, a heavy focus on. And I also think when it comes to how we want our ideas of the world, our thinkings about the world, our considerations of the world to advance, we shouldn't want any artificial pressures on those. We should want professional scholars sifting through ideas of what is the best idea, you know, even above in the means of however they come to decide best above the current governing or, you know, economic system, like to have earnest and free debate in the fullest academic sense of academic freedom. You know, free college helps achieve that ideal discourse. I also think it would help solve for a lot of the problems we see in our universities today. A lot of conservatives criticize that we just churn out students who don't know anything. And a lot of the times they can be right because, you know, how much funding you're going to get, what your accreditation is going to be is so highly tied to how you know many students who graduate that we have, you know, the wrong mindset of students because we have such an economic focus on that stamp. We have such a high pressure to graduate students from state governments. And that's a bad impulse because that doesn't mean we have a high pressure to educate students. That means we have a high 
high pressure to graduate students. And the way they exert that pressure on us is through our budget. If our budget was free, if we were told the university will be paid for it, your students can come at no cost to them, you all can do as you would please. And it's not about who you, how many you graduate, it's about producing effective students. That pressure than you would apply then on the universities is different than the one we have. And I think we would solve a lot of the problems we have with our education system. And I think a lot of that does start with a more centered education as an end and not as this degree mill, because when it becomes about that degree mill, about what produces the most economical degrees, about what does that, then we become into that prioritization and financialization of the institution that then looks for those certifications because there's no guarantee that mechanical engineer who's going to have that much paying job is going to retain any more of that information than the liberal arts student. It's going to come down to the individual student in that classroom saying, I want to learn. This means something to me. And the compulsion to graduate suffices students who have that desire, but also puts them in systems of faux mediocrity of where, you know, what should be an F is a C because, you know, people got to get out and your A and 4.0 becomes meaningless to an extent. Like we can liberate the college system from economics and make it a better system of learning and change, not even just, you know, uh, how we pay for it, but like, how we think about the process of education and what we want to be the pressure of education. Like, no, we don't want graduates. We want educated people. But right now we do only want graduates, or at least that's what we ask of our universities. I'll kick off my hot take by agreeing with certain, I'm going to cherry pick pieces of Josh's points uh, and then I'll, I'll run from there. I agree a hundred percent with Josh that the amount of actual learning that takes place in the classroom varies student by student. I've seen people who didn't even go to college who are more brilliant than people who have their PhD, partially because depending on how you run a specific degree, it can just be a meaningless piece of paper. So if it's just a piece of paper, then we're now advocating for subsidizing people's certification that they can do something and not the ability for them to do something, which means we don't actually churn out people who can better society or make something of themselves. We better people who can just say, yeah, I went to school. And that can vary across the board, and that's fine. But I think that we wind up pulling down part of our education system in the quality as we remove that standard, which highlights one of my points that I made earlier, that education is not the same as learning. You can go on Khan Academy. You can go on Purdue OWL. There are resources and YouTube videos endless possibilities for bettering yourself and little known secret that's not so little known we do that in college sometimes because we don't understand something so i don't think that we need to bring in extra tax revenue to be misused this is where i'll also agree with josh and marcelo on a couple of points that the education system is broken and there's problems with it. I just don't think that adding a hat on a hat is going to improve that. If we see that the associate's degree is now the equivalent of a high school degree, I don't think you make that better by this proposition. I think that you actually exasperate the situation and make it worse. So 
I think there's other things we could do. For example, I think employers could start valuing some of the tangible skills that high schoolers have. Rather than saying you need that certification, test them on those skills. Right? Like I think that there's ways that the education system could fix this issue without subsidizing it. And that's kind of why for now I'm against it. And I'll note with Austin here at the federal level, I would be interested to see more states doing it because I think Tennessee has had certain success stories and they've also had certain failures. And also allowing them that flexibility is going to make it a little bit better in the long run. So I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars and we'll catch you back here next time. Goodbye for now. We'll be right back.